to Western Reach's number five Atoshi Station podcast. I'm Seth. I'm one of your hosts, and with me is Megan. Hello. And we have a special guest today, Nancy. Hey. So tell us about yourself, Nancy. Uh, well, I am co-host of Tashi Station. Uh, we're currently on hiatus right now, but hopefully we'll be coming back in a few weeks to start up podcasting again. And um, I also write for the blog. I am a big Star Wars fan, obviously. And um, my latest project that I've been doing is the Tashi Station Book Club, where we read a different science fiction slash fantasy book every month that's written by female authors or authors of color or, you know, other marginalized perspectives. And you are half the reason we're here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and we are very thankful for that. <laughs> Thank, thanks for that. You're so, welcome. <laughs> when we wanted to have a guest, we wanted to be sure to have Nancy on. Yay. Yeah, definitely. And we've got a good reason for having Nancy on this week, which will come a little bit later. But first up, we're going to talk about the books we've been reading this week. So, Megan, what have you been reading this week? Yeah, so I finished one that I've been reading for about, it feels like, like four months, but I don't think it was that long. Um, I was reading this just at lunch at work, mostly. Um, a collection of, of uh, essays and excerpts called Into the Blue, American Writing on Aviation and Spaceflight, um, edited by Joseph Korn. And I got this because I wanted a sort of overview of the American space program and of sort of the history of engineering in flight and wanted a place where I could start and get um, ideas about things to read next. And this was a really good place to go for that because I have so many like of uh, stories and things that I want to explore after this. It was dry at times because it was probably 60 different excerpts from um, the right stuff from memoirs of astronauts there was some fiction. Um, there was a story by Ralph Ellison that I really loved about an African-American airman. There were all things about the Wright brothers, um, a huge variety of, of essays. And some of them were really good. Some of them had really touching moments like um, about the first landing on the moon. And it was sort of an intro intro to space for me. But if you, um, if you want a really long haul and I read it from cover to cover, like there's no reason you have to read it cover to cover. You can just kind of skip through. But if you want a really sort of long haul about space and about airplanes, that's a good, that's a good <laughs> book for it. Have you ever space? read, have you Sorry. ever read, um, A Man on the Moon by Andrew Chaikin? No. So that and, um, Oh, uh, okay. I'm not going to pronounce his name right. <laughs> uh, Saint Exbury, who wrote um, The Little Prince. Uh -huh. So his flight memoir, I think it's called Over a Night Night Crossing, maybe. Um, those are next. So I have a list of like, specifically okay. like space books. <laughs> so those are next. That's the one I always recommend to people. And, um, if you've seen the miniseries from the earth to the moon, that's what it was based on that book. Um, and it's, it's really good and it's, it's very long, but it's, it's in depth of all the Apollo missions. I've heard a lot of people mention that one and I've been meaning to read it, but then I forget mm -hmm. <laughs> about it like five seconds later <laughs> it's also frustrating because it's not an ebook and if i had it on ebook i just read it like a chapter at a time you know but i'm like i don't want to carry around the book because it's so big 
Yeah, mm-hmm. I was going to ask about that, whether you could just get it as an ebook. No, but unfortunately. Um, I'm trying to go through the, like, space canon, mm-hmm. and uh, and I usually read them at work, so I can always just leave it on my desk if it's huge. If you ever, if you have any questions, I um, read a lot of them for my master's thesis, so I can send you my list. <laughs> I, that would be very useful. Wait, so what was your thesis on? Uh, my thesis was on the uh, women workers at Kennedy Space Center. So I basically, oh, awesome. but I, I, I did a, like an independent study on space history one semester. Um, and I had to read a bunch of other books, like about the history of the space program as part of like my thesis research. So that's, that's cool. That is yeah. very cool. You can read that's, You uh, can read my thesis on the internet <laughs> if you care as well. <laughs> one thing I noticed about Into the Blue was that there were, several essays and excerpts by women and not nearly as many as men. I would say it was like a two to 10 ratio or something, but there were several and there were some really good ones. I don't have the book in front of me right now. So I have, I don't want to mess up the names of the authors, but there is a story about two female pilots traveling in Alaska. And it's just that they're in this little two seater plane and they have to land on this tiny runway that like hasn't been used in forever. And it's just about like the people they meet there and how much they care about the plane that they're flying and what they have to do to kind of keep it um, safe during this storm. It was really good. And there weren't, um, certainly not equal numbers of women and men represented, but even the um, the editorializing, like uh, the editor would say, you know, this people at this time might not have been aware there were many female pilots, but there were. I thought the tone was really good when it came to gender stuff. That's good to hear. Yeah, like there were a good number of female barnstormers and stuff. Like that's that's pretty cool. Barnstormers? Um, people who would go around the country doing uh, plane shows, like doing barrel rolls and tricks and stuff. Oh, in, right. In the early days of like biplanes, maybe I could be wrong about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am um, recently finished a book as well that feels like it's taken me months to read as well, which is that Hunger Games book I mentioned way back about the the literary essays, the Bread, Blood and Blood and the Hunger Games. Um and on the whole, they're pretty good essays. I feel like either I just know way too much about the Hunger Games and have been way too involved <laughs> in the Hunger Games. Or if they are like a lot of them were really simplistic essays and I can't tell oh, man. which it is. Occupational <laughs> hazard. Yeah, a lot of them felt really basic to me. And I was like, yeah, this is common knowledge. But then I was like, is it really common knowledge to anyone but someone like me? Um, But there was one particular essay. I think it was a second to last essay. And it was called Apples to Oranges. And it was by Amanda Firestone, I think. And it was about comparing Katniss Everdeen and Bella Swan from Twilight, which I was very excited about because I have a secret love for Twilight. I, I know it's terrible, but I love it because it's terrible, basically. Um, oh, that is and a the secret. Essay, I did not know. Yeah, I people think I'm joking a lot of the time when I talk about it, but I do genuinely love the movies, basically. Um, and this essay was yeah talking about comparing the two characters because it happens a lot. They're both young adult main characters who are women who have a love triangle in some way, basically, and that's basically where the comparisons end. And so this essay was talking about how the two characters can't actually be 
easily compared and they shouldn't be easily compared, especially when it comes to feminism, because they've got issues of their genres confining them to what they can and can't actually do. Like Bella Swan's genre is all about romance. Like she's a typical romance character. So she's got to fall into certain traits for that to succeed in the way that the book needs to succeed. Whereas Katniss is a uh, post-apocalyptic slash dystopian genre lead. So she's got to fall into those traits, which is about survival more than anything else. Um, and I thought it was interesting in the way that the author of the essay mentioned that at like every possible point in Twilight, Bella is always trying to exercise her agency. Like she's constantly, constantly trying to do that. And the book fights against it. So like she's always, she knows what she wants and she's always making steps to get in that direction. Just things fight against her. So she can't do that stuff. Whereas Katniss often doesn't go out of her way to exercise her agency. She just kind of rolls with stuff. She's very reactive. And so something will happen and she'll react to that. But she doesn't make a conscious choice and then go and do it a lot of the time. Like the first half of Catching Fire is basically all about her not knowing what to do and not wanting to make choices. Um, And I thought that was really interesting in the way that Bella Swan tries so hard to be a strong character, but the genre fights against it. Whereas Katniss doesn't want to be that character but the genre pushes her to it. That's kind of interesting that the type of story, like a tension between the story and the character. Yeah. Um, there was a certain line that I can't entirely remember, which was talking about, yeah, how Bella Swan tries constantly to exercise her agency and the genre like pushes back. So she can't. And I was like, that's so tragic. Like that's the most tragic thing about Twilight is that she could be this like super, I don't know what the word is, I've gotten the word, but like a agenty character who just pushes forward constantly, but because of how she's been written and what her story has to be, she can't do that. I think there's sort of somewhat the same discussion we had about Mass Effect there with how much is the author responsible for not going outside the bounds of their story. And like, you can say that the genre, um, the genre compelled the character to do something but at the same time the author it's the author's choice and yeah I say that with a full awareness of I had kind of an odd relationship with Twilight because I read it before I even knew it was like a thing and I thought it was fun and then I didn't think about it for a while and then it exploded so (laughs) I still think of it as like this like fun thing that was what it wanted to be and that's about where my opinion on that ends yeah and I agree and I I do agree that Bella Swan is not a good feminist icon in a lot of ways. Like those stories have huge issues with like abuse and all that kind of stuff. And I totally recognize that. I just, yeah, I just thought that um, the pointing out the way that the two characters did make choices and actively work towards different things, really interesting. And also like, again, the argument that you can't entirely, it's not fair to compare the characters because of the different audiences they're written for and the different ways they're, aimed I guess I'm I'm reading one right now in which I think I think I like the wrong character um (laughs) I'm I'm reading Sleeping Giants by um uh Sylvain Neuville which is a a Del Rey book I was given a review copy of it ages ago and finally got around to reading it and it's really good um what it doesn't really say on the package is that it's totally a giant robot novel like what? They, they try to make a mystery like what is this thing they found underground and spoiler warning it's a giant robot so <laughs> and I'm like I maybe I'm sure there was a good reason for why the 
the whole promotion was not, hey, it's a Pacific Rim novel, guys, but it might as well be what it is. Um, and I really like it. It's really fast-paced. It is, there are so many interesting mysteries in it. At the same time, you get a sense of, like, this knows exactly what it is, and this is going to be fun, and it's going to answer its questions in really, like, pulpy, fun ways. But I don't really like the characters. <laughs> like, the one character that I like is is only mentioned in... Um, so the whole book is actually written as interviews. It's either journal entries or interviews. And the person that's doing the interviews is this, like, faceless government agent who's really deadpan and got lost in a hallway one time, but doesn't really have any characterization beyond that. <laughs> and, and that's the character that I like the best. <laughs> um, and the others are fun. There's like a pilot and a researcher and whatever, but I just, the, the interviewer is still my favorite, which I don't think is how it's supposed to be. But it's a good book. So if I'm about, I'm a little less than halfway through it, but it's good. Would you recommend it? I would, yeah. Um, especially if you like sci-fi with a little bit of realism. Like, I'm on a Marvel kick right now, too, because I just saw Civil War, but it's got that, like, Marvel sort of... You have real armies and real politics, but also flashy sci-fi stuff. The book I just finished, the other book I just finished, is kind of similar but didn't have enough flashy sci-fi for me I think which was kind of the point but I was reading um <laughs> Vision Control which is by Dexter Palmer I think I just I literally just had it up so that I wouldn't forget and guess what I forgot um pretty sure it's by Dexter Palmer and I picked it up because it was in like a newsletter I got from the library because I get newsletters every month they're like these are the new science fiction books or these are the popular science fiction books so I was like okay this looks cool I read about it and it talked about time travel or whatever time distortion and I was like cool I love time travel stuff so I grabbed the book and it starts off with a real strong sense of unease which I really love like it starts off with the main character Rebecca Wright being like everything's upside down everything feels wrong nothing's right like there's something wrong with the world and I was like that's cool and then it kind of goes into this thing it's in the slightly it's in the near future so there's like technology we have now but it's slightly more advanced and so they have like TVs that will photoshop people to look amazing as it's airing to you basically and so in like the first chapter or so um that photoshopping it software goes haywire and so like the president while he's on tv starts getting like a third eye and purple skin and stuff and it starts going really weird and at first you're like i don't understand what's happening this is really creepy and then it explains what's happening but you still have that kind of sense of unease just happening throughout the first part of the book but then it kind of went from the idea of like this it's not it's not a time travel machine. It's called something else, like the something violation device or something like that. Um and so it's essentially a time travel machine. Like it sends things back in time. And but the main characters don't the the scientists don't want to call it that because, you know, time travel is kind of a very poppy word and it's easy to throw out without it actually meaning anything um when it comes to science, I guess. And so you get the idea that there's the character who is Rebecca's husband, Philip. He has been working on this machine for so long, like dec like a decade or so, I think. And so you know there's a time machine. But nothing ever really gets explored there until a little bit later in the novel. So in the first like half of the novel, it just turns into all this like adult drama and like flashing back to Rebecca's twenties where she's dealing with being 
a millennial or like slightly younger than a millennial, I think, and having that kind of distancing from the real world because of technology, which is cool. Like, I really liked them exploring that. But I was also just like, I'm just here for the time travel. Why is this happening? And so <laughs> halfway through the book, like, it it finally brings in, like, time distortion stuff and starts to explain, like, different different paths different characters can take and stuff. And then, like, so that gets really interesting then. And then it kind of goes back into adult drama again for a while. And I was like, ah, this is not what I want. Like, it's really good stuff like it, it builds up the tension really well and I love that but I also just don't care enough about the characters to bother seeing like who's cheating on who or whatever like it doesn't matter to me hmm. and then and then the ending didn't quite do what I wanted the book to do and so I'm still questioning the start of the book because I'm not sure what's actually happening there and I liked it a lot and it has really cool ideas with like the multiverse and time messing with time and all that kind of stuff and it had really good world building essentially. And a lot of like the science sounded very real, but I'm not a scientist. So I don't actually know if it was that real. It just sounded really cool and technical to me. Um, <laughs> but the dialogue was written. So like every character kind of sounded the same because they all just had that kind of like really pretentious way of talking. Even like the eight year old child talked like them, even though he was supposed to be like a super genius, he still just sounded like, an annoying adult kind of and so I'm still just like I don't know how I felt about it all up but I liked the time stuff it's hard to balance those things like like sleeping giants I think to a degree um part of the reason I had trouble getting into the pilot characters is because they have what you called like adult drama like but it's a little it goes by a little quicker because of the format so it doesn't slow the book down as much yeah, and I think I just have the problem that I just like young adult fiction too much. That when I actually read adult fiction, I'm not prepared for the adult stuff that's in it. <laughs> like, I know what adulthood is like because I've been an adult long enough now, so I understand what happens. But when I read books, I'm not used to that stuff happening in the books. I'm used to younger adults and, like, teenagers and stuff having their life dramas, which are very different in very different ways. <laughs> you, There's ways to do that well and poorly, too. Now I'm imagining just, like, somebody could make doing taxes a really great chapter in a novel. Nick Harkaway could write doing oh, yeah. taxes, and it would be thrilling. But it I was just about to say Nick Harkaway could do <laughs> yeah. that. <laughs> What's funny is the way you're talking about why is the way I feel, like, about just sci-fi in general and like I see I go to the bookstore or I just see books online that are just you know literary fiction or contemporary novels and I'm like why do people want to read about that stuff there's no spaceships or aliens <laughs> it's yeah, boring basically. yeah, <laughs> yeah. I and I, I had the issue a lot with this book because um reading reviews for it, people love it and they it means a lot to them I guess because I identify a lot with the main character who I don't entirely identify with because I am still on the younger side of like generations and she's like middle-aged she's like had a kid she's married all that stuff and so all of her issues that like come from technology and everything are not things that I entirely identify with even though theoretically we've grown up in the same generation so we'll have the same understandings of technology it's still written by somebody who has never had that connection with technology in the same way that my generation and the younger generations do and so you can kind of see that it's not like when you're me you can kind of see that her way of dealing with it is not entirely realistic 
because it's not actually how we understand like the internet and the connections we get from the internet. And a lot of the book was based around a dating website, like one of the online dating websites. And there was a lot of really good stuff about like race and racism with all of the other stuff, which was really good as well. Um, I thought that was really cool and really good handling of what was going on with that as well. And trying to like make all the white people reading the book, hopefully understand like different perspectives on the science happening there and time travel in general, which was really good too. I don't know. I have such mixed feelings on the book. I just, I wanted to love it so much and I don't entirely. And I just, I don't know. And you said you did finish it. Yeah, I finished it. I kind of couldn't stop reading it because I wanted to know how it ended. Okay, well, that's something. Yeah, it had a very, it was really good in the way that it kept you going on. Like you'd finish a chapter and you'd be like, yeah, but what's going to happen in the next chapter? And like it kept swapping point of views every chapter. So you got a lot of different perspectives on what was happening. And because of how it, it kind of swaps, like it swaps timelines halfway through, but none of the characters know that's happened. And so only you, the reader, knows that that has happened. And so you can see the different ways that characters have either like grown closer or grown apart or like their way, their lives have changed just because of like one difference in the timeline, essentially. That's interesting. Yeah. So yeah, Nancy, have you read anything this week? Um, Other than Bloodline, the most recent book I've read was Carry On by Rainbow Roll. And it was our book club pick for last month. Um, And I try, I'm trying to like go back and forth between like, sci-fi and fantasy although I probably will pick more sci-fi because that's what I prefer but it was really good and if you like Harry Potter or stories in that vein you'll like this um Saf it's YA and it's very YA (laughs) so (laughs) you'd probably like it um it's also very gay which I loved (laughs) because we we talked about this on the podcast that we did is that um it was not afraid to go certain places that um you know books like harry potter and other fandoms you know will refuse to go so it was it was nice to see that relationship and it's actually a really really cute love story and just it's just a good story in general so i definitely would recommend it it's very fast read that's cool that's what you talked about last time yes it was on the uh, oh, Megan talked about it? I don't know. <laughs> um, I might have mentioned that I was going to read it. I didn't end up reading it because I had read a lot of romance books and I was a little burnt out on romance. Mm-hmm. But I might have mentioned it because I, I am participating in the Tashi Station book club. It's really... That I, makes sense. I wouldn't necessarily... I mean, there is a romance part of it, but it's... I. I I think it's less, it's just like one part of the story, you know, it's definitely not the focus. It's just that because the two characters end up working together throughout the book, you know, there, there's a lot of tension between them, but it, it's, you know, like one of the things we talked about when we were discussing it on the podcast was that Simon, the the main character, like, you know, he keeps questioning, like, well, am I gay? And I was like, it was kind of annoying. But at the same time, I could understand because he's got a lot of crap going on in his mind that it's probably not the stuff he's thinking about right now because he's just trying to stay alive. So this is my uh, 
my promo for the Tashi Station Book Club podcast because <laughs> I did listen to that one. It was quite enjoyable. Thank you. And um, you pointed out that one of the ways in which it was different from Harry Potter was that Simon was a very reluctant hero. Yes. And that's something that tends to bug me in, in fantasy too. It's just not... I want, because as a reader, I'm going into it going, this fantasy world is cool. I want the character to be going, this fantasy world is cool, too, because it helps me identify with them. Well, he do- He thinks the world is very cool. Like, he, he, he has a list of all the things, you know, he loves most about going back to his magic school. Uh. And one of them is just, you know, magic in general. But the problem is, is that he is, um, they, the... Baz, the other character, calls him the worst chosen one who's ever been chosen. And it's like, he's the most powerful wizard, but he can't control his magic. So he basically, you know, tries to do spell and it doesn't work right. Or he finally ends up, they, they call it going off and where he, he'll just like explode everything around him. You know, so he, he, he wants to be the hero, but he doesn't know how. I do want to read it. I think, um... After my next sort of round of books, I'll probably go back to it. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's on the list to me, but it is a very long list. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Same. <laughs> That's yeah. understandable. I will say though that it's it's it's, you know, two boys and not two girls. So it might that might put it lower on your list, Saf. I know. It it does. I, I yeah. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I yeah. I love gay like characters in general, but gay dudes are low on the list <laughs> for me <laughs> there are cool girls in the book though there's a yeah, lot more for that. girls than in harry potter which i appreciated that's yeah, good that's because, good yeah yeah um speaking of long lists <laughs> i have a long list of games which i have not touched and i think megan you've just been playing undertale right yeah, so we're we're not really going to talk about games today, both because we're going to have a long show, I think, in general, and because we're both kind of in between things. So I'm still playing Undertale. I'm soldiering on. I'll have more to say about that next time. Yeah, we'll definitely talk about more games next time and probably definitely Undertale. <laughs> so for now, the rest of the podcast is going to be Star Wars. So if you're not a big Star Wars fan, then this is probably not for you. So we're going to be talking a bit about news and then a big topic. After that is Bloodline, which is partly why we have Nancy on. And so first up, before the exciting stuff, we have some news. We have Lego Star Wars The Force Awakens adds missions. Yeah, so the um, the trailer for Lego The Force Awakens came out on, uh, I think, on May the 4th. And what I thought was cool about it was that it adds six or so completely unique missions. So they are not in the movie. There's one of them that's about Kylo and Phasma looking for Laura Santeca. There's one about Poe Dameron rescuing Admiral Akbar. There's one about Han and Chewie capturing the Rathtar. And they are, there's a bit of a debate on Twitter whether they are canon quote. I think they're kind of semi-canon, but they are completely new. And uh, I'm really excited for this game. I put it on the list because on May 4th, the new trailer came out, but I also put it on the list just because I'm excited about it. And it's out on every possible game playing device there is, except possibly the Oculus Rift in June. (laughs) I have never really been much of a Lego games person, but I'm keen to see how it looks. I always liked them. I liked the older ones better. Like the prequel trilogy one is still one of my favorite games to just like 
and like relax and play. But uh, yeah, so I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, and you mentioned May 4th, and on May 4th, we didn't have this in notes, but I really quickly want to mention it. Um, They announced about Celebration Orlando happening next year in April. And (laughs) I'm very excited about that. Um, Yeah. Are you going to be going again? Yes, I'm going. Um, Unless anything really dramatic happens, I will be there. I already have my hotel room. It's relatively easy for me to get down there. And I was sad that I couldn't go to Celebration London. So the goal is to go. Yeah, same. I think all three of us will end up being there, which will be awesome. Yes. Yes. So I I quickly... I am obligated. I'm obligated to go. (laughs) Yeah, you are. (laughs) I mean, you live there. I do live in Orlando. Yay. I'm so excited. I don't have to travel. (laughs) I was so spoiled for Anaheim because the past, the two celebrations before that had been in Orlando. And I was like, oh, I have to fly in a plane. This is so lame. (laughs) It's so hot, isn't it? I know. It is. In a plane. I know. For for so long. But You'll no, have I'm to give excited. us the insider information on downtown Disney and stuff. Oh, yes. I, I already told Brian that we will probably have to, like, do a bunch of posts and, like, podcasts of, like, walking through Disney World and the Orange County Convention Center and blah, blah. But I know, but thankfully, a lot of people have already been here because of the previous celebrations. So that's that's one of the reasons I'm glad they're coming back here is because I know the layout so I'll, I'll be like oh okay i know where that room is so i don't have to like go looking for places which is if if they do keep alternating you know coast to coast which is what i've heard they're going to be doing i will also like that because you know i'll we'll have all been to anaheim so we'll know that convention center too so i just like knowing the convention centers and you know figuring out where to go and not having to relearn it every single year yeah, last time I was in Orlando was for Celebration 5, so it's been a while. I've heard it's been built up, but I knew at least, like, when I got the hotel, I could picture exactly where it was in relation yeah. to the convention center and stuff. That's useful. Yes. Yeah. I like Anaheim because it's easier for me to get to, but I'm very <laughs> yeah. excited about visiting Orlando because I have i don't think I've ever been on that side of America, um, oh, the nice. east, oh, east side. You need to well, go to... Our side of America. <laughs> you need to go yeah. to Harry Potter World. I do. I didn't even realize that was there until somebody mentioned it. I was like, "Oh my god! Of it course, is, I have to go to this." It's so cool. I mean, I I'm a Disney person. You know, I I don't have passes to Universal anymore because we didn't go as much. But I will I will buy passes again to go with people because um, it's so awesome and watching people walk into Hogsmeade and Diagon Alley for the first time. Like, like we went to Diagon Alley. Like a few months after it opened because we didn't want to deal with the crowds and like we walked inside and like I have a picture of Brian like covering his face crying <laughs> as soon as he walked in because <laughs> it's just that immersive and everything. Ah, it's going to be good. That's awesome. I'm very excited. Um, yep. So yeah, other than that, there hasn't been too much big news. Um, Chris Miller tweeted out that he can't wait to get shooting, which could mean that the Han Solo movie will be starting shooting soon. I guess because there's been rumors, rumors. It's basically almost confirmed that Alden Ehrenreich is going to be playing the young Han Solo, though it hasn't been announced by Disney or Lucasfilm yet. So it's not like a hundred percent official. So we're not going to talk about that too much yet, but it means that the Han Solo movie is likely to be starting soon. 
what I've heard is that they're starting shooting as soon as episode eight is over with. So it's pretty much, you know, once episode eight is done, then, you know, the Han movie will start. And then... Which is theoretically going to be around August sometime from what I've heard. Yeah, I'm not sure. I haven't really kept up with it, but... Yeah. That would so make sense, though, if they just swap them out. Yeah. And I yeah. speaking of episode eight, I'm super excited because of how much Mark Hamill has been in London and he they him and Carrie Fisher tweeted pictures of them hanging out and it just made my heart grow eight million sizes because I want Luke and Leia to be together in oh the movie. Oh my god. No, that picture with Gary. Yeah. It was so nice. I was like, oh my god, they're hanging out like twins. Yes. <laughs> it's so cute. I just yeah. I want to see them reunite in the movie uh, so much. I you'll have like Brian was like, I don't, we were talking him like, we're probably not going to see Rogue One as many times as we did The Force Awakens. He's like, yeah, we probably won't see episode eight either. And I was like, are you kidding me? If Luke is in the movie <laughs> as much as I think he is, I'll be going like every hour. <laughs> I, uh, I do have some trouble sort of having feelings about who they're casting for Han Solo. And it might be just because I haven't really done the research about the actors, but I don't really know any of them. So I'm just like, yeah, eh, we'll see who it is. They all kinda I, I'm kind of I'm kinda similar. glad about that though, because I don't want to have a preconception, you know. Maybe I um I like both Taring Egerton and Alden Ehrenreich. I don't know if I'm saying either of their names correctly anyway. <laughs> um because I liked Kingsman and Eddie the Eagle, which Taron Egerton's and and he's really good in both of those movies. Um, and I saw Alden Ehrenreich in Hail Caesar, and he was adorable, like so cute. I loved him so much in that movie. And everyone's saying he looks too old to play Han, but he plays quite a young character in um, Hail Caesar, and he looks quite a bit younger. So I think he can play a relatively young Han. So if he is actually Han Solo, he's one of like the two actors. The other one being Taron Egerton. That would actually get me excited about the character in a movie. Sorry. Um. <laughs> I, I added something on the news that because it reminded me because we were talking about the, uh, you know, space books earlier is that uh, NASA has been tweeting these videos um, talking about like women who are like high ranking NASA officials. And the first one had Daisy Ridley um, doing the narration. And then the one that just came out today had Kathleen Kennedy. And I was like, they need to stop putting out these videos because like the woman of Star Wars talking about the woman of NASA is just too much for my brain to handle. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. I haven't seen those. Yeah, they're really, really, I mean, they're really short, like, you know, less than a minute, but it's really cool because they talk about um, the woman, I think the woman who was in charge of the Mars missions and then uh, the deputy director of NASA and like what they do and all that stuff. And it's like, you know, to hear Kathleen Kennedy talk about, you know, deputy director of NASA. And I'm like, ah, my interests are colliding in the best way. <laughs> Very cool. It's such a cool way to gain awareness about the woman working in NASA because, you know, STEM women and women working in those kind of areas aren't really known about a lot of the time. And so people assume they don't work there. Yes. So NASA actually going to the effort of like spotlighting them and then linking up with the awesome woman in Star Wars who have been making such big strides recently. Like it's really cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to see how many more they do and like who else they get to do it. You know, if they have like, you know, Lupita Nyong'o or Gwendolyn Christie, you know, and, or, you know, Carrie Fisher. <laughs> 
That would be amazing. Yeah. And speaking of women in Star Wars, and also Carrie Fisher in a way, <laughs> we've got sense. our big topic today, which is Star Wars Bloodline, which is a book, the newest Star Wars novel, which came out very recently. It was like May 3rd or something. Um, I say or something because it did not come out on May 3rd in New Zealand at all. It came out on like May 5th or something yes. here. Because everything hates me. But <laughs> it was an awesome book. I think we all like it. I yes. like it. Okay, yes, we all liked it. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> um, it was written by Claudia Gray, who also wrote Lost Stars, which is my favorite Star Wars book. Still my favorite Star Wars book, as much as I love Bloodline. Um, and she is really good at capturing Leia's voice, I think. Um, so yeah, this is less of a review and more of a discussion of the book. We're going to be keeping spoilers to the end of our discussion. So you can listen for a little while and there won't be spoilers. And then at the end, we're just going to drop a whole lot of spoilers because we can and because we want to. Yes. And so. <laughs> True. Up, I want to ask, what are your guys' general impression of the book as a whole? This was definitely one of my favorite Star Wars books in a long time, which is out of character for me because usually I like the Jedi stuff, but this was paced really well. Um, the politics were like were brought in really well, except I I didn't love the portrayal of the Senate, which I'll talk about a little bit later. Um, but I thought that it did really well with Leia and it had enough information about the sort of the beginning of the First Order and a lot about the beginning of the Resistance um, to make it really worthwhile in that TFA era. I don't know that I'd call it essential from like a pure facts perspective but from a fiction perspective it's really enjoyable and you should read it what do you think yeah. nancy i really loved it um i said it's probably my favorite um adult novel since kadobi came out um and I, I there was one of the uh young reader books that came out last year the um the weapon of a jedi by Jason Fry that I liked more just because it was a Luke book that I really loved. But um, I think of, <laughs> that one was good. Yeah. Um, Very different though. It Yeah. Um, but it's like, I haven't really gotten this absorbed into a Star Wars book in a long time. And it felt really similar to when I started reading Star Wars books back in like 1992 or 93 um, and was reading all about like the formation of the New Republic and like um, even though it was much earlier in the timeline like Thrawn trilogy was only five years after like I got the same feeling while reading this book just because the post Return of the Jedi era is my favorite era in Star Wars and you know, getting to read new stories about that era and like have it be completely different from what we knew in Legends, but also kind of similar is been really interesting and seeing how they've been developing everything based on The Force Awakens and coordinating everything has been really impressive. And I'm really excited to see, you know, other books that come out. And, um, you know, right now we only know of the two more aftermath books but i'm i'm really hoping we get um a lot more books set in this time frame and one in particular which i won't note right now because it's a spoiler for the book <laughs> but um <laughs> but yeah i i definitely loved it and um you know for years people have been clamoring for a, Le a senator leia book 
And I remember people saying that would be boring and like they would never read a book that was like that. You know, they would just fall asleep. And I'm really glad to see everyone loving this book and seeing that, you know, you can write a book about politics if you do it right. <laughs> um, and it's was really great to see Leia get her time um, in the forefront and not have her family be the main part of her plot um, because that tended to happen a lot um, in previous Leia books. So. I was a yeah. little worried about that too. And I think they balanced it pretty well. Yeah. I mean, like Han was definitely a presence in the book and it's, you know, not like she's never thinking of him. Cause of course, you know, they're married, you know, you're going to be thinking of your spouse, but she, you know, has her job and they're, you know, off doing separate things. And especially cause you know, their, their son is older at this time that, you know, them being separated isn't that huge of a deal. You know, you can kind of see it like, okay, you know, mom and dad, after the kids go to college, you know, that like dad might go off and like do a job someplace else for a while, <laughs> you know, but they still love each other and everything. So what did you yeah, think I thought, about? Oh, sorry. sorry. Steph. <laughs> I thought the handling of um, Leia and Han's relationship was really sweet. Like that still felt so much like them, yes. but you could still just feel the love between them as well. And it was really sweet seeing that. And also just kind of heartbreaking when you think about the force awakens. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I was wondering, so Claudia Gray mentioned that there was a line or a scene in the force awakens that she had seen and went, Oh, this is the same as the scene in my book. Yeah. But she course didn't know that and I was thinking that it was the one like early on where she talks to Han and says like we had good times didn't we but they're not they're not separated like they're married but they're not physically in the same location that conversation seemed very much like the one in TFA to me yeah. but I don't know if that's it I don't know if that's what she was referring to yeah I haven't seen anyone ask her that question and I would be very interested to hear the answer because <laughs> I was curious about that as well yeah, and I got the same feeling. Like, I didn't know she'd made that tweet and said that. But when I read that particular bit in the book, I was like, ah, oh, yes, that's linking up very nicely with the with the movie. It's very yeah. poetic. And if that was by accident, that would be really cool yeah. Like to have that kind of – that more than one person read those characters in that way because that's kind of how they are, which would be cool to see. Yeah, um, I love yeah. that idea of, like, it's internal consistency so consistent that even the authors don't – know about it if that makes sense yeah exactly exactly yeah and I personally loved how she wrote Leia I thought she captured her so well because Leia's a character I've always identified with a lot and a lot of ways um in her personality and stuff not from like the novels like the previous Legends novels because I haven't read those but from what I see in the movies and like what I've like I've thought about her a lot growing up and all of the stuff she's been through like I it it resonates with me a lot and so seeing the way her character was dealt with in this book and how she's like got that anger still but she's also like grown a lot and she's really really smart still and she's still prone to like going into dangerous situations because she kind of craves it but also she knows what she has to do to make things right in many ways and I loved how Claudia Gray handled that Claudia Gray's writing of characters is just so good to me and I love Leia what, what did you guys think of Leia? I thought they captured her voice really well. I, I keep saying they, like it was a bunch of people. <laughs> I thought Claudia Gray captured her, their, her voice very well. Um, 
and the editors helped, I'm sure. But um, Leia came off as a little bit cold but in a good way. Like it reminded me of in the Marvel Princess Leia comic, the short series, how she people called her an ice queen and said that she was distant. And she was distant because her planet had been blown up. Like she's a little shell-shocked. And she's still a little shell-shocked in this movie. And that, or in this book, Sorry, can't talk. Um, I may or may not have been just flipping through this book looking for the Mad Max references, so I got a little distracted. Oh. <laughs> um, but so she she speaks in this very controlled way, and she comes off as having that edge to her, but not in a way that makes it difficult to identify with her. They could have it would have been out of character if she hadn't had some kind of warmth underneath that and I think you see that in her friendship with Kesterfo too Mm -hmm. which um yeah I thought that was really done very well this is the first time I've pronounced Kesterfo out loud I think (laughs) (laughs) and and I'm not I'm still not quite sure if I'm saying it right because there's this whole discussion I think it's Kesterfo I say Kesterfo yeah I I would say it that way too (laughs) Yeah, I I really loved the way Claudia Gray portrayed Leia. Um, I I feel like Leia is a very dif- difficult character to get right because you can go too hard with her, um, but at the same time you need to you know you she 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 is a politician you know she's a senator she has to have that sort of edge you know to to get through twenty something years <laughs> and not kill anybody. <laughs> Um, but I loved how she put in little aspects of like her using the force just like subconsciously. Um, I'm really glad that they kept her as a politician. Um, I know some people were disappointed that she's not a Jedi like she was in the Legends books, but I never liked that development for her. Um, I, I just felt like her leaving politics and becoming a Jedi was just not what she would do like she was just always a politician first um and i kind of liked luke luke and leia having different like aspects to focus on because it like differentiated them and it gave them things that were you know important and just for them you know which i thought you know was 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 good for both of them um but yeah like this is the leia book i've been wanting forever and it it made me really excited to go back and watch force awakens knowing what i know and then see more of her in the future yeah i really like the way that leia kind of has that edge and i really identified it as with it with it as well in the comics like you mentioned megan how they call her an ice queen and stuff because um i am kind of like her in the way that i go cold and kind of hard when things are hard so like when something bad happens like I kind of do the same thing as Leia I kind of turn to an ice queen a little bit um but like there's still that warmth inside of her that yeah you see with Kesterfo that's the first time I've ever said his (laughs) name out loud um (laughs) I it's it's not easy and the funny (laughs) thing looks easy and the funny thing is Brian was listening to the audiobook I mean, we he was he was listening to it, and then I, you know, got home and I was listening to you, and I I forget how they pronounced it, so I <laughs> I, I fail. <laughs> yeah, but not just him, and like as well as him, there's Greer and Joff and Corsella, and like her warmth for all of these characters that she kind of brings together is really sweet. Even though you also know she's got that real toughness to her, like she's got that steel, yeah. and I love that 
she's not just one or the other, which happens so often to female characters. They're either the really cold female, like hard ass lady, or they're too warm and nurturing and they kind of lose their strength in that way. Um, not to say that warmth and nurturing can't be strong, but the way that a lot of people write it is not done right. Um, and to have both of those things with Leia and just blend them in such a perfect way that is so Leia from everything is really nice to see. And I loved watching her friendship with Kisterfo. I hate that name. Now that I've said it, I hate saying it. <laughs> like watching their friendship grow was really cute and seeing his character development was really cool because to begin with, I did not like him because no. he kind of starts off as a really dislikable character and then he grows into a really likable character by the end. And I love when authors do that, but also I hate it because I know it's going to get me really emotional at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it didn't, did not go how I expected at all because there was so much like misdirection in their uh, relationship at first in that you truly understood why Leia would hate this person and then it turns out he has good reasons for being the way he is and both of them both of them have things they're right about and things they're wrong about yeah I I had the same reaction to him where I did not like him at first um the the um but as you know the book kept going on you you grow to like him more um and as soon as he started revealing like stuff about his backstory I knew where they were going with it and I was like flipping the pages like and covering my mouth because or covering my eyes because I'm like this is gonna be bad I don't want to read it but I have to keep going yeah (laughs) this book made me like gasp like books haven't done in a while (laughs) yeah one thing um Claudia Gray said that she fan cast Casterfo as Benedict Cumberbatch. And I read that about halfway through when I was reading the book. Wait, Benedict Cumberbatch or Tom Hiddleston? Tom Hiddleston. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. <laughs> Never mind. It's okay, they're both, both kind of like, interchangeable in fandom. Popular yeah. British actors confused. <laughs> That's embarrassing. Yeah. Um, it's Tom Hiddleston. And... I was reading, I was about halfway through the book, and um, I just couldn't picture him as anything else after that. Of course, now I'm picturing him as Benedict Cumberbatch, which is just, <laughs> now it's ruined again. <laughs> um, and, like, I don't know, not that I found it distracting. I It worked really well, and it kind of took over whatever my mental image of him had been before, which wasn't much, because he, he's described very briefly. He was basically described as handsome and then moved on. And I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> but what did you guys think about, like, his, uh, the fan casting? I, well, I, first off, I don't see images in my head. It's just a thing. So when I'm reading books, even if a character described me in the book or somebody shows me a picture of them, like, from a movie or something, as soon as I start reading the book, that picture disappears because I can't, I can't hold that and also read. Um, but because my first reaction with Tom Hiddleston is Loki and I really hate Loki, the character that also brought in like dislike for Kisterfo to begin with. So I was already like, no, I don't like this guy because I just instantly associated him with Loki, whether or not that was fair, totally wasn't fair, but that's just kind of a subconscious thing. I just did straight away. And so, um, I like the way she fan cast characters cause it's cool to go and see like, what they look like to her but also it can kind of backfire when it comes to me and disliking another character they could be linked to yeah I like the idea of it and I, I do this when I'm writing as well um because it kind of I it 
I have a hard time picturing characters as well. So having that image in my head helps, you know, is what, you know, okay, this is what they're supposed to look like, you know. Um, but I, I didn't really see him as Tom Hiddleston, mainly because I'm not a huge fan of his anyway, but I don't know what, I, like, I really don't know what image I had of him in my head. <laughs> he was just kind of, like, sometimes I'll see characters more as personalities than, um, you know, what their appearance is, and I think that was the case with him. Um, that was the case with a lot of characters in this one, but I did feel that that was because they weren't described in a lot of detail. Yeah. Which is kind of how I like it. I like it when they're very vaguely described. So you get an idea. Like, I I think Kostovo had, I hate saying that name so much. Oh, my God. Anyways, <laughs> sorry. He got described with, like, fair hair or something. Um, and then I was instantly like, oh, he's not, he's not Loki. Like, he doesn't like Loki. And that's kind of where it stopped associating with Tom Hiddleston for me because yeah. Tom Hiddleston is just Loki to me. Um, but, like, you get those little ideas. Like, you get that um, Greer has, like, thick black hair. And I was like, cool. She's got thick black hair and then it keeps going. And I don't have to hold too much information about those characters. And so you can kind of pick whatever you want for them. And they're not like just, I, I don't like long descriptions of characters in books. It's just a personal preference. And so yeah. I love the way Claudia Gray handles it is that you get their appearance, but you get much stronger sense of their personality. Yeah. I act. Um, Chuck Wendig actually does. He is really good at describing characters um, with like, but making it be more like personality wise. So he'll say like the person had bug eyes, you know, or, you know, really hollow cheekbones. So it's not something like, oh, you know, black hair, pale skin, you know, or whatever. So it's like you, you describe the narrators describing the character and then you're immediately getting a picture in your head based on the adjectives he, he uses. Um, so that I kind of like that. Otherwise, I'm like Saf, where I'm just kind of like, okay, this is what the person's supposed to look like. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And speaking of Kisterfo, um, we have kind of mentioned off the podcast, like, thoughts of him being bisexual. Um, somebody asked, I think, Nicole? Yes. One of my friends, Nicole, <laughs> asked Claudia Gray. <laughs> yeah. Um, what his sexuality was, if he was bisexual. And, um... Claudia Gray said she hadn't pinned him down as it, but that she could see it. So basically, he's not canonically bisexual in the novel, but also he could easily be bisexual. He's totally bisexual. <laughs> you can't convince me otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> I still have the slight, like, sense of him being a really, like, really frustrating straight white dude. So I still can't <laughs> see him as bisexual because of that. But also, if he was bisexual, that would be awesome. Because... The world needs more bi characters. Yeah. I just, I saw, I got that one reference and I'm like, he's totally bi. And then I was like asking everyone else who read the book. All right. Did you, what did you think? And then I would like tell them that line and they're like, oh yeah, he's totally bi. <laughs> so, um, but I, man, Kisterfo was such a frustrating character because I know I'm supposed to hate him and then I'm supposed to like him. And there was one scene in particular when I was like, oh, shit, I really like him. And I, I curse, but I guess I can curse. <laughs> You're the boss. <laughs> but um, I decree I can curse. <laughs> but um, I was like, God, I like him a lot. And uh, yeah. The scene where they're basically eating Chinese food and just <laughs> talking about their mission. I was just like, this is just very sweet. Yeah, I um I, I call it that I non ship ship them. 
So, like, I really love their friendship and their relationship, but I don't want them to, like, hook up, you know? Yeah. I just, I really like their friendship. And, I mean, after The Force Awakens, you know, I could see maybe, you know, Leia's a widow. She can have a fling with a younger man. (laughs) But, uh, that that would be to be determined. I love the the relationship because you don't see enough male female platonic friendships in anything like it's no. just not really a thing that you get without romance ever coming into it and there's never a sense of romance between these two like you just don't get that idea you know they're just like their friendship yeah. is really strong or it becomes really strong and I love that because like I have so many my, my best friend is a guy and everyone always think like jokes that we're going to end up together because you know we're best friends and we're a guy and a girl despite being bisexual both of us and so <laughs> In fiction, whenever they actually have like a strong female and male friendship, I'm always like, yes, this is this is what I want. I want more of this. Make this happen. And the fact that Claudia Gray made this happen and it was written so well and so believably was just so good. And I mean, male and female friendship weren't the only thing in this book. Like we had other characters as well who was other characters. Another character as well who was a really good friend of Leia's, who was Greer Sonnell, I think I said that right, who was in that short story that was in Insider, Star Wars mm-hmm. Insider, which I've forgotten the name of the short story now. I think it was Scorched? Scorched, yeah, by Delilah yes. Dawson. Yeah. Um, and I have not read that yet, so I can't say anything about it, but I know Megan has read it. Um, Megan, did that affect you, how you saw her in this book? Shameful confession, I read about half of it. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'll, I'll finish it because I do, the book gave enough hints that her past, I mean, the book explained it all, really, but it definitely made me want to uh, find out more about her past, but the the writing style in the story was not really my favorite, so I have not finished it, even though it's only, like, three pages long. I I liked Greer. I had a, I don't, I don't want to say I had a problem with her. Um, it might be the only thing that I didn't really like about the book was that whole revelation of her backstory because I kind of felt like it didn't really affect the plot at all it was kind of like you know just just a neat little bit of backstory about the character which is you know there's nothing wrong with that obviously but like I was expecting this like big reveal like and have like it would have some like stake on the plot but then it was just kind of like there at the end and I was like okay I don't know what the point of that was but okay I like this character anyway (laughs) I don't know it's just it's just kind of like I I, maybe because while I was reading it I like I didn't really care about those parts I wanted to get back to the lay parts right yeah to me I felt like the point was to bring a little more uh, like texture to her character and I liked it I really liked the part where she's obviously wants to watch the uh starship race yeah. but she doesn't but she like lurks conspicuously yeah. in the corner basically waiting for someone to tell her to come watch the starship race and like that indecision and like she's an accomplished person she was basically in the starship racing version of the olympics and now she lost that, and now she's a little bit self-destructive, a tiny bit. And I thought that was nicely complicated. 
Yeah, I definitely see where you're coming from, Nancy. But I'm also definitely on the side of yeah. I um, mean, Megan Moore because I never, I never personally saw it as something that would link up with the plot just because of the way it was talked mm-hmm. about on the side. But also, like, if you're really enthralled in the main plot and just want to be on that, I can definitely yeah. understand how her side story is less impactful. I mean, for me personally as well, because you know, I have, I have a chronic invisible illness, so like her having. Not so much the same thing, but like having something like that that like affects her life and made her have to change what she was doing. I was like, oh man, this is I, I identify with this and I love this character a lot. Yeah. Um I, can... I was worried about what it would mean. Um I just spoiled stuff. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no. I uh, we'll I think I think it was less the the actual like backstory part where I just I felt like like there's a rule that is in writing that the longer you keep something from the reader the 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 more of impact it has to have you know like as far as a reveal goes and it was just like by the time we got to that point i had figured out what it was basically and i was just kind of like all right okay cool <laughs> i knew that i figured that out <laughs> like I, yeah if she had just mm. said like straight out at the beginning like what was the issue then maybe I wouldn't have had the little issue with it. And I, I mean, I, I want to be clear that it's, it's really, really a tiny, tiny, tiny issue with the book. Cause I, I loved it. You know? Yeah. Was, is it revealed in Scorched? I don't know. <laughs> Just from the name of the- I'm so sorry. I feel like I failed you. Uh, I don't know. The name of the, the, short story kind of gives a hint that it is revealed yes yeah i'm assuming it did like i i I don't know finish it like right after this yeah and yeah it's it was kind of weird because it was so built up and then didn't really have an like i thought it would have an impact like later the end of the book perhaps it was supposed to give you attention that you thought something bad was going to happen or that something good would happen or whatever like it was supposed to give you a sense of thinking about it even if it wasn't going to do anything but that doesn't really excuse it not doing anything i guess mm-hmm. it actually kind of reminded me of a mass effect loyalty mission like <laughs> garris's decision to shoot sedonis is not doesn't have anything to do with the end of the story mind you it's not revealed at the end of the story either but it's just like a bit of flavor for his character yeah yeah and i guess kind of it was to help her character development with joff um, the younger pilot that kind of joins yeah. their team because it kind of helped them bond and have their relationship grow. And it's possible maybe they'll both turn up in future things and that's kind of why this was happening. Yes. I don't know. I still don't know how I feel about Joff on on the whole. Like, He's so cute. He is really cute. And her, But she... he doesn't really do anything. <laughs> he flies an X-Wing. <laughs> <laughs> and he's PETA. Oh no! See, I was wondering whether the two of them were gonna end up together, but they—they yeah. they were the case of oh, there's a male character and a female character together, so yeah. they must be attracted to each other. I was actually going back and forth on whether I thought Grim was gonna end up with Joff or Casterfo, because there was a few times when it seemed like it could go either way. Oh really? I yeah. didn't notice that at all. Yeah. Huh? Okay. But um, uh, yeah, I can see that now. I have to look at that again because I don't remember their interactions very much. Yeah, that would be interesting. I'm so happy that they kept the sort of Sea Striker naming convention. Yes, because um, 
every so often in, in Legends, a character would come up who had like a Skywalker type name. And I remember one of them was Far Dreamer. Um, and I'm like, and I saw Sea Striker and I'm like, oh, yes, this makes me so happy. <laughs> I think my thoughts when I saw that name were literally like, that's kind of awkward. It's obviously trying to be Skywalker. It's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Dark lighter. Yeah. It's perfect. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. I I, yeah, I liked him. I like, you know, little baby X-Wing pilots. And- yeah, I like the very first scene where he was like, when I grow up, I'm going to be an X-Wing pilot. Mm-hmm. And, and he was an interesting... Oh, sorry. Him yeah. and Corsella were both, they were from an earlier generation. So the Empire and the, um, I guess, not so much the Empire and the Republic, the Empire and the Rebellion affected them in different ways than they did people like Casterfo and people like Leia. Yeah. Yeah. And it's cool kind of seeing that new generation because they're a little bit older than like Ray or Finn, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they kind of, that. it's, it's cool seeing the generational shifts between like what we have seen previously and what we're seeing now, I guess. Um, I for- I totally lost what I was trying to say, but I like seeing new generations coming up in stories like this and them not having experienced the war, but having like Leia there and being like, this could happen, like bad things could happen. And both of them understanding that because they, they don't want that stuff to happen again, as much as Joff wants to go on like cool secret missions as an X-Wing pilot. Like he also understands that this stuff is not good. I think kind of similarly to Poe probably. Yeah. I saw a lot yeah. of similarities with him and Poe. Yeah. It would be cool to see them like meet up at some point. Yeah. I hope he, I hope he like shows up in future books, especially if there's like, you know, X-Wing books or books like that. We're starting to get this sort of extended solo family. And I think Mm -hmm. that's another reason, um, Nancy, earlier you said this reminded you of reading um, Star Wars books in like the 90s. And I've talked to several people about this, but this reminded me of the the old EU also. I think partially because it was such an ensemble book and because you get the feeling that like these characters are going to interact with characters in the movies and they're really going to grow. And I wonder if this is sort of the core cast now i it kind of just just came to me i don't know if that's true but it could be yeah it'd be interesting to see yeah um so there are a couple other characters we should probably talk about um we'll go through them quickly so we'll give quick opinions of these last two characters <laughs> um, lightning round up or thumbs down yeah, lightning round okay corsella <laughs> who is also in the force awakens on Hosnian Prime, so we see her die in The Force Awakens, and now she's suddenly <laughs> back in this book as a young girl who you fall in love with, potentially, who I fell in love with. What do you guys think? Thumbs up, pure cinnamon roll. Thumbs <laughs> thumbs, <laughs> thumbs up that one part I saw coming a million miles away, but it still broke my heart. Yeah. Okay. Carice Sindian. Lady, Lady Carice? Is that Lady Carice? Yes. Lady. Oh, yes. yeah, you have to add the lady. Oh, lady no. Carice. She was... <laughs> So close to being my perfect character that I love, but she didn't quite make it because of the royalty thing. She was so obsessed with that. Uh, Nancy, you don't like her? No, she was awful. I hate her. I want her to die (laughs) a miserable, terrible death. (laughs) I mean, she's the worst, but she was kind of an interesting character. I liked that she was so consistent in her motives and that her ultimate battle was between not good and evil, but between is this royal enough or is this not royal? I mean... 
don't get me wrong, she was a great character, but I hate her guts. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> she. Remi- I, agree. I saw someone compare her to um, Vicky Shesh, and I was like, oh my god, Ooh. yes, no wonder I hate her. Ah, <laughs> uh, see, that brings me. I'm gonna skip ahead. Was or was not Varish Viclay the um, Elagos Akla <gasps> counterpart? I hadn't thought of that, but now that you said it, I totally would buy that. Yeah, Leia's friend. Has yellow fur. That's where the similarities end. <laughs> Hopefully she doesn't end up as a skull in a box. Oh, God, no. Yeah. Ah. Spoiler warning for the new Jedi Order. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I'm like so the, out of it with this one. <laughs> that's like the first thing I thought of when she was described as having fur. It's like, oh, it's it's Elagos again. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I... Cindy and no. Boo. Bad. Yeah. Okay. Rin Riven D. God, I hate Star Wars names sometimes. Rin Riven. That's such a dumb name. (laughs) It's so much fun to look at, but really hard to say. Yeah. It's the the D part. Yeah. Rin Riven die. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. What what did you guys think of Rin Riven? He was fine. Like he was he was fine for the villain, you know, the antagonist role that he had. Um I, I thought the I mean, I could go on for days about the Hutzlayer thing and how I think people are missing the point on that. Um, we, oh man, I should have put that in the notes. <laughs> like, I could, yeah, we could talk about that for a while for yeah, sure. Yeah, but I, 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 I think the reason that the, um, the, the, you know, gang leader basically thought that way about Leia says a lot about, um, you know, that sort of idea of like glorifying what she did um which is you know it's fine to say leia is awesome and powerful and she you know she took a terrible situation and you know came out of it you know with her agency but you know don't minimize the fact that she had a chain around her neck and that's why she did what she did um yeah but i i i i I thought it was an interesting idea that this character would kind of like admire her because of that yeah i agree what do you think megan he i mean he was just kind of there i you know (laughs) um the hutzler thing aside um i did think that he was sort of the smoke screen in front of the real villain which turned out to be someone else so um he was okay he was like your typical mercenary gang type character in star wars yeah yeah yeah, you so gotta you gotta have the, you gotta have the under underworld people. Yeah, very sorry, <laughs> Vic Varish, who I loved. Yeah, she was cool. I liked her. She was she was. I, I liked that she also had the whole idea about wealth and nobility, but she wasn't a jerk about it. You know. Yeah, mm. she kind of like saw it as an excuse to just kind of be like, "Look at all this fancy stuff. It's cool." But also, she kind of had her focus on real life. I think more so than Carice might have. Like, she understood where noble kind of things, like, not noble, but, like, luxury kind of ended and real life became, like, a thing. Whereas, like, Harice couldn't separate her obsession with royalty from the real world politics that were happening, if that makes sense. That's a good point. I liked her. I liked that Leia had a female friend. Um, But that was about all. I did think that the Senate lacked a little bit of, like, grounding like I didn't really get much of a sense of what it was like to be 
on Hosnian Prime, and mm-hmm. she like she brought in all her luxury, but that stuff is like stuff she might have brought in from somewhere else. I think I wanted a little more that set this Senate apart from the old Republic Senate, and she yeah. she didn't really contribute too much to that, but she was fine. Like she was fun again. I, I look forward to finding to seeing her character change. And then finally, Tylen Gar. I liked him. Yeah. Yeah. He seemed pretty chill. Yep. Seemed like a reliable guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we talked a bit and- about um, Han and Leia's relationship in the book. Did you guys have any more thoughts on that? Um, I. It was really nice to see like an older couple who've been married for a long time and have, you know, a child and they're in an established relationship. Um, but they're also allowed to keep their separate lives, which, you know, I really liked, um, you know, because not every relationship is the same or should be the same. And, you know, I, I, you know, I hate when people are like, Oh, well I would never do that. So, you know, obviously their relationship isn't great, you know, which is so wrong. Like, yeah, I, I could never be apart from my husband for more than like a couple days at a time. <laughs> but, you know, that I'm not going to say that everyone who isn't that way is in a terrible marriage. You know, obviously yeah. Han and Leia love each other very well and what works for them works for them. So why should anyone care? You know, exactly. Like I could definitely see myself ending up in like a marriage like Han and Leia's. We were both off like traveling and doing different things and like that. And it works so well for who they are. Like having them both, like having Han cooped up on Hosnian Prime would literally drive him crazy. Like he would not be able to do that. (laughs) And I mean, even in Legends, he was always off like doing his own, like he was either off doing his own stuff or he and Leia were off like flying around the galaxy together. And so, you know, if Leia was going to be a senator and be on this planet, you know, I, I can't imagine her saying, no, Han, you have to stay with me. <laughs> and he'd be like, no. <laughs> yeah, I thought they they worked pretty well for what they had. I was surprised that Han was like a corporate sponsored spaceship <laughs> racer. <Yeah. now. laughs> it, it wasn't as jarring to me as I thought it might be jarring to other people. Because it's just very different and it you can risk sounding kind of cheap if you go into like, Oh, Han was sponsored by the such and such fake corporation, but um, I didn't really mind it. It was just different. Yeah, it'll be. Yeah, I'm interested to see like in if um, the aftermath books kind of shed any light onto that, or like maybe point the the arrow in that direction as so that's what he's going to end up doing now <laughs> with his life. Um, because he's supposed to have a bigger role in life debt. So it'd be interesting to see how, how far back they go with that. And it is really yeah. a very George Lucas idea. Lucas always liked car racing. And, yes, that's yeah. true. Mm, yeah, and it kind of, I think, matches well with the Han Solo comic that's going to be coming out with him doing a racing thing as well. Like, they kind of, I think, trying to push him in that direction a little bit. Yeah, I mean, Maybe. you know, it's the one of the first things we hear him say is it's a shift that made the Kessel Run in less than 12 parsecs. So, you know, you can't say that those sorts of things weren't in his DNA from the beginning. He likes fast mm-hmm. ships. <laughs> he does. <laughs> yeah. Um, so 
we also have mentions of Ben and Luke within the book, <laughs> which people weren't sure how much we'd actually have of that within no. this novel before it came out. Um, what, what do you guys think about that? I'm probably not <laughs> going to be able to talk about this without delving into spoilers. I was so, just right, going to say this. this I'm going to warn the, the listeners now. <laughs> Wait, no, yeah. we'll save this. We'll save this okay. for a little bit. We'll shelve this one for like five, five seconds okay. or five minutes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and instead talk about Bloodline as a political Star Wars book, which was what a lot of people were excited for in the same way that Twilight Company was kind of more of a military book. Now we kind of have more of a political book. The books are kind of showing a lot of the different aspects of Star Wars, which is nice. Um, did you think it handled the politics well? We've talked a bit about it before, and you guys mentioned about the Senate. I think, Megan, you have a lot to say about this, potentially? Um, I could. So I thought it was interesting that they um, – I did it again. Claudia Gray made sure to <laughs> <laughs> Claudia Gray made sure to show that both political parties had um, good points and bad points. And at times, both Leia and Casterfo say the opposition is probably going to say this. And hey, they have a point about that. Um, there was definitely a sort of lesson in there about the fact that it's the extremists in either organization that cause problems and you can come to a um a compromise beyond that i'm not super well versed in politics so i actually had trouble a little bit grasping onto the centrist and populist ideas like of how their different um how their different styles would manifest but i think that was because i was sort of grasping too hard for real world comparisons um but it was, I. it seems like a natural way that a Senate would have grown out of this sort of very chaotic government that was left. Did you guys feel like this was repeating the old Republic Senate style at all? Or is this just like, that's how Senates work? And there's inevitably going to be some similarities. A little bit of both. Like, I'm relatively interested in politics. I actually was going to go into it at one point, but I'm more versed in New Zealand politics and Australian <laughs> politics and like America, which has an actual Senate and so has more of this kind of stuff. Um, I think it made sense that they would end up returning to the issues that the old Republic had um, because they're too scared of putting too much power in one place, which makes a lot of sense after what happened with the Empire. Um, but also you've got all these new people now that want the way the Empire dealt with things to come back because it was more efficient to have a person with center power being able to be like okay this you have to do this and you have to do this and like there's the idea that they could get a benevolent person in that place like someone like Mon Mothma um, who has the power to do things but won't necessarily be corrupted by that power like Palpatine definitely was and so you've got that one side that wants the the ability to be able to dictate the galaxy as a whole because they think that if they can do that it's going to mean a lot more whereas you've got the popular side which want the power to be separated among everyone so that kind of everybody gets a say but that also ends up being a lot slower because everybody's trying to get a say in and everybody disagrees and so both sides have fair points and I see it, it totally makes sense the way the Senate works within the story and within the galaxy as a whole. But it's so frustrating looking at it because you kind of like it's got the two big parties and they're not necessarily right or wrong. And you're going to align with one more than the other, which makes sense. And it's just so much like real life. And it's so frustrating. 
Yeah, I I didn't really compare it much to the the like the prequel trilogy because like the politics in there didn't I didn't, I never really saw it as involving like parties, but more like the whole idea of power. Um and here you don't really have like one person trying to take over everything, you know. Um so I I thought she did a good job at explaining like both the different sides and I I found myself agreeing with both of them at different points in time um you know because I I agree like it's gonna be really hard to get stuff done if you don't have any sort of authority central authority but at the same time you know you have too much central authority you end up with another empire so um I definitely I thought she did a good job explaining it all. I I I do agree with Megan. I would have liked a little more delving into like life on Hosnian Prime and like how exactly the Senate works. Um you know. Yeah. Cuz it it seemed like they're so inept that it's like what's the point, which I I guess, you know, might be Leia's point in the whole story. So Yeah, and I think after 20 years like because there's a lot of like talking about Mon Mothma as a charismatic leader. And so she managed to make things happen through her charisma and like her presence. And so they didn't catch like how inept the Senate would end up being once Mon Mothma stepped away and they got yeah. like a less powerful ch- ch- chancellor who doesn't have actual power. They just had charismatic power. And yeah, I, I did think it was done really well. It wasn't, political enough for me in some cases like it didn't delve enough into the senate again like you guys said um and i would have liked to see more hosnian prime as well but i guess there's only so much you can get in certain books um before we go into spoiler stuff i want to quickly bring up the fact that there were four gay characters mentioned not necessarily shown only one of them was shown but um joff sea striker has two mothers which is awesome and one of his pilot friends who i've forgotten the name of um Nancy, do you remember his name? Um, no, I don't. <laughs> but I know who <laughs> yeah. you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. One of um, Joff's pilot, co-pilot people, friends, um, has a boyfriend and he is also a guy. So potentially bisexual. Who knows? But gay mentions and I'm excited. Yes. And the fact that they're just so like, they're just normalized. Like they just throw away sentences that just sound normal. And you read it, you're like, oh. Like, I get excited. Some people didn't even notice that like, yeah. that happened. Um, and I like the fact it's being normalized in Star Wars. I wish we were getting more actual characters with appearances and lines mm-hmm. who were queer would be nice. But yeah. the fact that, yeah, it's just a thing that's just happening now. This is when I... It's really cool. This is when I pump my fists in excitement for life debt and more Sinjir. I know. I was going <laughs> to say, yeah. Sinjir might have a love interest. Uh, yeah. yeah. But you know me, I'm wink, always looking wink, out for wink. the ladies. Nudge, nudge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I yeah. do. I always just want the ladies to be gay. There do needs ladies. to always be. Always the guys. There do needs to be more ladies. Equal yeah. opportunity gayness in Star Wars is needed. Exactly. And also maybe <laughs> some non, non, non gender. That's not the right word. Um, agender? Yeah, it is. Non gender. Non gender yeah. and agender and all that kind of stuff too, which is really cool to see. Trans people, just gender fluid people. The whole spectrum. Would it be seems nice. like Star Wars is a perfect medium in which to have gender fluid characters because there's yeah. so many different species that you would think, like, come on, there has to be some species in the universe where like gender fluidity is a thing. 
Definitely. Yeah. And there was a mention of more than four genders within this book, but yes. also like it's it's like a vague mention that's like, oh, they exist, but then they never actually get shown or anything. Like in um Lost Stars, Claudia Gray also makes reference to um trans people having gender yeah. changing surgery, which was cool to have that mentioned and like canonized, but also why not show a trans character while you're at it? But anyways, <laughs> I, that's a whole nother thing for me. <laughs> let's talk about spoilers. Um let's talk about Luke and Ben. Yes, please. I have so many things to say. Yeah. So yeah, full on spoiler warning. If you don't want spoilers for this book, or you want to read it first, go read the book and then come back and listen to this. Yeah. And Nancy, you wanted to talk about <laughs> Luke and the Jedi as yes. well. So one of the things that people had been very curious about was what are what is the Jedi Order like? Um, how many Jedi did Luke train? Like, were we going to see the Jedi Order? Um, and, you know... We still have all of these questions because nothing was answered. Um, <laughs> no, we Luke, know nothing else. Yeah, Luke and Ben were off somewhere in the galaxy, um, and they never talked talk to Leia at all during this book because there was uh, radiation interference, which I think... Uh, I don't know if I actually buy that or if something some other stuff wasn't going on at the same time, but I'm sure we'll find out that out eventually. Um, but basically... You find out through other references that Luke is already sort of like detached from the galaxy. He's not a public figure, um, which is very, very, very different from Legends. Um, you know, in Legends, Luke is involved in the New Republic for a long time. He's, you know, the Jedi are firmly aligned with the New Republic. Um, he starts training Jedi pretty early on. And in this, you know, we don't know how many Jedi he's trained. He might have been training Jedi for a while. But um, it is clear that they are not aligned with the New Republic. And I have to step back from the microphone and go, Yay! You le- you learned from your father's mistake! <laughs> Thank God! <laughs> I was so glad that, you know... I, I was kind of a little bummed because I'm like, oh, Luke goes from being this like really well-known figure. But then I'm like, you know what? Damn it. He deserves to like go off and do whatever he wants to do and not be in the public spotlight and train his Jedi the way he wants to without government interference. Um, so you go, Luke Skywalker. You go. <laughs> and I am so glad that they're not involved in the government because that was too many problems too many problems there's so little we know about them still like they're they're luke could have 20 jedi with him but we don't know yeah we i mean i i always i got the impression like from other you know sources that he um he went back to one of the jedi temples on deveron and i kind of like wonder if that's gonna be like one of his like main bases of operation um but like i i kind of like the idea of him and ben like traveling around together um and i i do wonder if there are other jedi that he's trained because it's been so long i can't imagine him not having trained anyone through to completion yet um so even though this book had like no luke in it and you know it was all about leia i was like I have so many questions. <laughs> and also the fact that like, you know, Leia mentions that Luke, um, 
like there's a way Luke sees her, like how she uses the force, like her instincts and everything. Um, so it kind of gave you the impression that he did sort of give her some training, but you know, not the full sort of training. Just like, here's how you deal with the force, you know? That was kind of interesting. And she mentions that she chose not to be a Jedi. I feel, I still felt like her reasoning was a little lacking, Mm -hmm. but maybe that's because I'm so like wedded to the idea of Leia is just as much force sensitive as Luke is. She could become a full fledged Jedi, but her character in the original trilogy, her skill set is very different and, I can certainly also believe that she just doesn't want to. I just, part of me just needs a really convincing reason why she's not interested in that. I think the book did give us one, but they didn't actually say that's why. Um, I, I think her whole revelation at the end about the anger, you know, how she was so angry about what was happening at Ransom and, um, you know, she understood how Anakin would want to, do the things that he did to protect the people that he loved. And I think maybe deep down, that's what Leia was always worried about because I, I always felt like she is much more like Anakin than Padme. Um, even though people don't really talk about that a lot in fandom. So I, I, I kind of really like the idea of Leia knowing that she can't be trusted either no, thinking she can't be trusted or fearing she can't be trusted, with, which, based on how she feels about Vader being her dad, would make a lot of sense. Yeah, I'm definitely with you there. Like, I've always loved the interpretation of, yeah, Leia having a lot more Anakin in her than Padme, whereas Luke's got quite a lot of Padme in him as well as Anakin. Like, they've both got their parents in them, basically. And Leia does have that anger and that darkness and... Like, even if she doesn't actually have the chance of falling to the dark side, like, she can see how it would happen. And having that fear in her, driving her away from actually wanting to learn those skills so that it doesn't ever, like, she doesn't become the next Vader or something is really interesting. Yeah. Um, and I definitely like that. But I also am kind of like, maybe she would learn something so that she would have a bit more power. Maybe. I don't know. Like, <laughs> she would have an edge in some way. But I don't, I don't. I just, I'm also waited to the idea of her becoming like a Jedi because she could. Like, I want more cool lady Jedi and I just love Leia. So I'm like, Leia as a Jedi would be so cool. But I also understand why she's not going to ever become one. And it's yeah. fair. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> one one other thing I wanted to mention about Luke and then I'll go back on to, I'll, I'll stop letting him steal the book from me. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's the, when they're in the Senate and um, Lady Carice brings up the idea of like, you know, what about um, Luke Skywalker and how this affects him and he's off doing this? And I was like, oh, no, you did not just do that. And I loved that Leia got so protective and so angry. And she was like, no, they can say whatever they want about me, but they cannot like sully Luke's name. And I was just like sitting yeah. there clawing my yeah. face with all the twin that feelings. Was <laughs> I was like, I was like, thank you, thank you, Leia, for like being like, uh, bitch, please, no. <laughs> he <laughs> saved the galaxy for you twice. Step off. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah, just her prediction for her family in general is just really sweet. I guess because she knows what it's like to lose them and like Everyone, I think she has that feeling that everyone around her is really good and that she's kind of bad, like, 
not bad, but you know, she's got that kind of negative impression of herself. Whereas everyone around her, like Luke is this amazing hero and like her father and her mother were like really awesome. And her husband is like, he may be a smuggler at heart, but he's still like good hearted and really brave and everything. And so like she would, she would be really fiercely protective of them all because she sees them as like the good in herself potentially as well. Yeah. Yeah. That was just me analyzing a bit too much potentially. <laughs> Okay, I'm distracted by a cat behind me. I might not That's have fair. read read into it enough because there there was like uh, there was a brief part. She only thinks about being a Jedi briefly, and but I kind of honed in on it because because yeah. out of universe stuff. Yeah, um, we should probably wrap up soon because we talk quite a lot. But before <laughs> we do, is there any other stuff you guys want to talk about with relation to this book? Uh, I'm realizing that we could talk about so much with this book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Do, we, so, do we, do we, I understand why Leia didn't tell Ben about Vader being his dad, but oh yeah. my God, I was like, Leia, 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 come on. The dude's like, what, 24 years old now? <laughs> yeah. And you haven't told him yet? It's like, it's like not telling kids they're adopted and like they find out from like some random person and they're like, what? <laughs> but way worse. <laughs> it, it's not a make or break thing for me. Like, I don't think they're bad parents. I don't think you can say no. that. But the thing that gets me is that she's doing the same thing to him as her parents did to her. Like, yeah. she's... She can't imagine that Ben will never find out. Like, she's practically guaranteeing that he could find out in some relatively traumatic way. And even if they know Vader's dead, it would still be relatively traumatic. It would still be a shock. And I was very surprised that he didn't know because I was always under the impression that he had been obsessed with Vader, like, his entire life. And... Apparently not, although he could have been obsessed with him, even though he didn't know they were related. Yeah, I um, I, I mean, I, I definitely don't think they're bad parents, and I totally understand why she wouldn't want to tell him. But at the same time, I was just kind of like, but, 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 you know, um, it's kind of, you know, important <laughs> to, for him to know this, you know, um, and I, um, I, I just hold on my, my computer's being dumb I'm sorry <laughs> uh, to keep okay. going yep we'll we're back no nope. okay I'm here sorry my computer decided it wanted to play noises <laughs> ah. so yeah um just I I I can understand why she didn't say that you know why she, why they didn't tell him that but at the same time I was like okay but really you should have told him a long time ago and i want to know why luke didn't insist on it because it seemed yeah. like well, yeah well i guess because he wasn't her well he wasn't her like ben wasn't his child right. he probably realized it wasn't his place to force it i can under- onto onto her i guess like yeah. i don't know and i wonder if like ben did know like I don't, like, we don't know when Snoke comes in. We don't know when Ben finds out about Snoke or when he starts being contacted by Snoke. Like, that hasn't been in anything yet. And so it's possible that Ben found out when he was younger and has kind of held on to it without anybody yeah. else really knowing, which is also possible. Um, That's interesting. It would be interesting so, if Luke yeah. did tell him at some point in time and just doesn't, Leia doesn't realize that. 
Yeah. But. Like I want I want a book about Luke and Ben. Oh my god. Yes. Like, yeah. Please. And I think All right, Del Rey. We're going to get it or we're going to get flashbacks or something. I don't think we'll get anything until like much later on, you know, and more like maybe until even after episode 9 is out. But dear god, I I, I mean, they set it up so perfectly that you're not reading Bloodline and thinking at the same time, okay, I need to know what else is going on and I need to see Ben's reaction because in light, you don't even know what she said to him. Like, they skip over the message she sent to him and I was like, ah, I, need, I wanted to know what she said. Yeah. I mean, it's got to be so tough to balance the information that you get in a book and the information that you get in a movie. And I think Pablo Hidalgo has talked about it, how some things have to be in the movie because they're yeah. going to be for the general audience. And I guess as much as I would have liked more Luke and Ben, I think they were a necessary victim of that. Well, I'm also... Yeah, I, and also... Sorry. Um, bringing them in would have taken away from Leia. It would. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, that I'm, I, I'm glad they weren't in it because I wanted her to get the spotlight in this book because she needed it because dear god like what like i you saw it coming that scene the reveal but oh it hurt to read it was was so painful so good yeah it was really good yeah yeah i i love the book it was (laughs) a good book it was emotional at times um but it was really good and i want claudia gray to write more star wars yeah Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. I, I want them to just let her write all the books. <laughs> it's like have her be this, you know, this timeline Stackpolar, Alston, or Zon. That would be amazing. I would yeah. be a-okay with that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that is our podcast for today. Um, we could probably talk about Bloodline for <laughs> way more hours. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we've already gone a bit over, which I think is probably fine when it comes to Bloodline, yeah. honestly. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, again, I was, I, I was, I am Seth. Um, you'll find me <laughs> on Twitter at Wanderlustin, W-A-N-D-E-R-L-U-S-T-I-N. Um, Megan, where can we find you? I was Megan, and you can find me <laughs> on Twitter at, at @blogfullofwords. What about you, Nancy? Where I, can we find you? I may have been Nancy, um, and I am, <laughs> <laughs> I am on Twitter at Nancy Pants. That's Nancy with an I. Awesome. And you can find us on Toshi Station. Um, you can find us on iTunes at Western Reaches, and you should subscribe to us if you like us. And it was good talking at everybody else who was going to listen to us and talking to both of these awesome ladies. We'll see you guys in two more weeks. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Don't, and don't forget to check the Western Reaches. Bye.